prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law until all be fulfilled. So everything in the law was meant to be enacted until the time of its perfect fulfillment. Now to the book of Luke chapter 24. In verse, begin verse number 17, this is the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he said unto them, what matter of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? <clears throat> and, and the one said of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And how, notice they said prophet. He was just a prophet. Now look at verse 20. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. It's been three days. And, and nothing has happened. He was, he was a prophet. We thought he was going to deliver us from the Roman Empire. Verse 22, and yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them, which were with us, went to the sepulcher and found it, even so as the women had said. But him they saw not. So what, what they're implying is that somebody stole his body. Then he said to them, O fools, and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses, where did he begin? At Moses. And all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So remember, uh, Jesus said that, that the law will be enacted until all is fulfilled. So before I tell you when the law is fulfilled, why does it even matter for why does it even matter when the law is fulfilled? I mean, what's, what's the point? We know we're not under the law now, but you know, at least I, I hope you know that, in, in that we're not under the law of Moses. But here's why we have to understand when the law was fulfilled. It's because we have to answer questions like this. When we're talking to people about the new birth experience, people have asked me, what about the thief on the cross? And that's a good question. Or... They say this, did John the Baptist speak in tongues? Or my personal favorite that I've been asked, did Jesus speak in tongues? And I've always tried to answer that, you know, without going too deep in the Greek and Hebrew, knowing that most of the time I've got like five minutes to answer it. But really it shows how there is a serious lack of understanding in Christianity as a whole about the law of Moses and when it ended. And, and about how the Spirit and when the Spirit of God was poured out upon all flesh. So some think that the law of Moses ended at Jesus' birth. But that's wrong. The law was in effect 100% until it was fulfilled. And we know that because Jesus himself, while he was speaking as an adult male in Matthew 5 at the Sermon on the Mount, said the law is still in fulfillment. The law is still being enacted because it hasn't yet been fulfilled. He's speaking of its fulfillment in a future tense. So, therefore, the law was still in effect at the time of Jesus' earthly ministry. So, in other words, the law spoke of something greater. 
that had yet to come. It just pointed the way to something else. Galatians 3 and 19 says it like this. Wherefore then serves the law? It was added because of transgressions. Why did the law come? According to this verse. Not your question. Because of what? Sin. The law came because of sin. Till, until the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hands of a mediator. Now, without going into the whole book of Galatians, Paul identified the seed that God promised Abraham as Christ. Remember when God spoke to Abraham and said, look up, count the stars, look down, count the, the grains of the sand, so I'm going to make your seed. So it was a heavenly seed and an earthly seed. So there was a natural Israel symbolized by the number of sands on the earth, and there was a spiritual Israel symbolized by the number of stars in heaven. So, so the seed that God promised Isaac in, in Abraham's lifetime, and from Abraham's perspective, was his child Isaac. It would come to him at an old age. But it was much bigger than that. Because that seed was ultimately Christ, who would be, and is, still is, the Messiah. And so he said that the law of Moses came because of transgressions, and it came until the seed would come that God promised Abraham. Okay? Now, so the law came because of sin. In other words, it showed and it had to teach man that he is a sinner and in need of a Savior. For example, you know, before the law came, there was really no, uh, you know, other than the law of your conscience, there was no formal law to teach that you were a sinner and that you needed to approach a holy God in a specific way. That God was holy, that you're, that you're sinful. But now that, the, now that the law came, if you're, if you're a Jew in the law, if you're a Jew alive in the days of, of Moses and, and, and you come to the high priest and you've committed a sin, well, there was a specific sacrifice that you had to offer for that. And so while you're offering that sacrifice, you're getting the understanding, it's dawning on you, I'm a sinner, God is holy. And so that was really the whole purpose of the law. And so let me make this real simple for you. The law was fulfilled when Jesus died on the cross. The entirety of the law spoke of defining sin and showing man his need of mercy and redemption. So in that respect, Jesus fulfilled the law. Because what, what did Jesus do on the cross? He died. He died for sins. He died to give us mercy. And what would mercy be without the understanding and the need for mercy? If you go out and you murder somebody and there's no law against it, then you don't have any need for mercy. But if you go out and you murder somebody and the judge pronounces a death penalty, now you understand your need of mercy. So that's kind of what the law did. It, it, it pronounced a, a, uh, an official uh, 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 judgment on man. So so the law gave sin a bite, okay? That's what the Bible means when it said the sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law, okay? Because that's how, I mean, sin was already enacted, but, but the law identifies it and, and gives sin a bite. It would, because if there was no law, but there was only sin, it would kind of be like, like if I was a policeman, but I didn't have any authority or jurisdiction in this area. So that's kind of what the law did. And so Jesus on the road to Emmaus with those two disciples spoke of himself <coughs> beginning at the law of Moses. It was beginning, starting there is where he spoke. And basically what he was saying was, look, the law prophesied about me. When you read about the brazen altar, you know that I am your burnt offering. I did that on the cross. When you read about uh, that uh, 
that golden pot of manna that was there inside of the of the table of or sorry rather uh, the table of showbread that was there inside the holy place that was me because I am the bread of life. I mean, he, you, you could go through the entire tabernacle plan. You could talk about every lamb, every sacrifice, every ritual, every observance, and somehow, one way or another, it points to a greater sacrifice that was yet to come. So when Jesus came on the came to earth, you know, he was one hundred percent under the law, and so that's what it means when it said, "And beginning at Moses and the prophets, he expounded them and all the scriptures of thing concerning himself, the thing concerning his passion, his sacrifice, and his death." The law of Moses, along with its offerings, observances, rituals, spoke of a greater sacrifice that was yet to come. Consider this as more evidence of this. When was that veil of the temple tore? Into. Look at Matthew 27 and verse 50. It says, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks did rent. And the graves were opened, and the many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. When Jesus died on the cross, that veil of the temple, that veil that symbolized that man cannot enter the presence of God but once a year and on the Day of Atonement. That veil was ripped in two from the top to the bottom, symbolizing that only an angel could have done that. And it happened on the, at the exact same time that Jesus cried, it is finished, and he gave up his spirit. That symbolized, as I've said, the, where the Shekinah presence of God dwelt. Now look at Hebrews 10 and verse 19. The writer of Hebrews says this, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh. Now, you did not enter that veil boldly. You didn't just blurt in and say, here I am, God. You, did, you never did that in the Old Testament because you know what? You'd be dead as a doornail. You would be dead. The presence of God was holy. And so there was no method to approach God because he was holy. You have to approach God through a blood covering. Amen? Amen. Okay. okay. And so there is a new veil. Just as that old veil was torn in two, now there is a new veil. Paul said that the new veil is the body, the sacrificed body of Christ on the cross. So the veil was torn in two because there is a new veil, the physical body of Christ, just as it was sacrificed in death. That veil, that old veil was torn in two, and that symbolized that there is a new way to enter into the presence of God, and it is through the sacrificial atoning death on the cross. That is the veil that we enter into. So that way was not yet revealed until he had died on the cross. So the gospel of the New Testament church was not yet available until after this point. So it's, it's kind of a moot point to say, well, did John the Baptist speak in tongues? Well, of course he didn't. Even the disciples didn't until Acts chapter 2. It hadn't yet been made available yet. In fact, Jesus himself was under the law and subjected to it during his lifetime. Look at Galatians 4 and 4. It says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. So Jesus was subject to keeping the law of Moses. Just as he kept the law of Moses, he had to. Otherwise, he couldn't have been the spotless lamb of God that that same law spoke about needing yet to come. 
Look at Mark chapter 1 and verse 40 is further proof of this. This is Jesus healing the lepers. Uh, he said, and there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down and saying to him, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. And he straightly charged him and forthwith sent him his way. And watch what he says to him. Say nothing to any man, but go your way and show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. The law of Moses demanded that any man healed of leprosy should be presented to the priest for inspection and pronounced clean by the priest before he would be permitted back again into the congregation of the Lord. That's in Leviticus 14, if you'd like to reference that. And once pronounced clean by that priest, this man that previously had had leprosy could be a testimony to the people that he had truly had been healed because now the priest had pronounced him healed and clean. So that was what Jesus was saying. So Jesus was subject to the law during his earthly ministry. He kept the law of Moses perfectly as it should have been kept. Now, there were some things the Pharisees and the Sadducees accused Jesus of doing that they said that violates the law. But they had all this nonsense, stuff that they had added in. You can't do this, you can't do that, you can't eat with unwashed hands. As a matter of fact, look at Matthew chapter 15 and verse 1. This is one of those times, then came to Jesus, the scribes and Pharisees, which are of Jerusalem, saying, Why do the disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? So there was what we now know as the Jewish Talmud. Okay, you may have heard of a word called Talmudic Pharisees. And what that means is that were Pharisees who kept the Talmud. Sometime while they were in Babylon, uh, they began this oral tradition. In other words, it was things that Moses didn't really command, but it was things that we think is a good idea, so we think you ought to do this too. And that was called the Talmud. Right about the first, second, or third century AD, somebody actually wrote it down. So now it's a written Talmud. But in Jesus' day, you can go to the library and check it out and read it. It's not God's word. It's not God's law. Jesus called it the tradition of the elders. In the Talmud was a law that was referenced that, you, you know, because the law of Moses said you can't eat anything that was unclean. So natural, it's a natural step just to say, well, if you eat with unwashed hands, then you're also unclean because you're contaminating your food. Now we know it's just a sanitary thing. You tell your kids to go wash their hands before they eat. But in Jesus' day and before then, it was, like a, it was like a holy ritual or observance. You have to do this or, or, or God's not going to accept you. And so, 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 so the Jewish Talmud taught this, but Jesus called it the tradition of the elders. And, and so in the days of Jesus, there was all this nonsense that the Pharisees and Sadducees say, you have to do this in addition to that. And so whenever you read the Gospels, a lot of times the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of not keeping the law. But really, it's them not even understanding what the law of Moses even talked about. And them adding all this nonsense into it. And so at the time, at the same time the law of Moses was still in effect, it was also at the end of an era or dispensation. It's just really important to understand this part. Okay, it was in the process of coming to an end. It was, it was at, at the tail end. It's kind of like a president during his last two weeks in office. Okay, He goes, he might pardon a bunch of people, but other than that, he's kind of a lame duck. Okay, he's, They're getting ready to swear on a new president. So, so, so this is kind of, it was in this process. And so under the law of Moses, no man could pronounce 
well, your sins are forgiven you. But Jesus could do that because he was God in the flesh. Look at Matthew 9 in verse 2. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their face, said unto sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore do you think evil in your hearts? For whether it is easier to say, Your sins be forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. So Jesus did not just heal leprosy in his day. He also forgave sins. During his earthly ministry, he had power on earth to forgive that. But under the gospel, he still has power to forgive sins. But now it's done by associating with his death on the cross, which is done in repentance and water baptism and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But since he had not died yet, there was no death to associate it with. So Jesus, in his earthly ministry, he had power to forgive sins. Now, this was not the case with John the Baptist. It was a required baptism. Get down in this water center. It's for the remission of sins. But that baptism looked forward to what Jesus would do on the cross. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So, so that baptism of John the Baptist, much in the same way as those Old Testament sacrifices, looked forward to and pointed to a time when Jesus would die on the cross, be buried in the borrowed tomb, and rise again on the third day, and the Spirit would be poured out at Pentecost. So what about the thief on the cross? He was still under the law of Moses. The gospel had not yet been put, put out there yet. Uh, Jesus forgave him in the same sense that he forgave the man sick of the palsy. He had power on earth to forgive sins. But the gospel was not available, much yet even preached. And so we have to ask ourselves this question, at what point did the kingdom of God come? Because it hadn't yet come in the days of Jesus. I mean, it was in the process of coming. That's why he could preach the kingdom of God is at hand. It's getting ready to come. That's what he said. But the kingdom did not come until Acts chapter 2. What did he tell, what did he tell his disciples? Wait in Jerusalem and tarry until you're endued with power from on high. John the Baptist said, I'm going to baptize you with water, but there's coming one after me who will baptize you not with just water, but with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Amen. And so... So John the Baptist prophesied about that. And so Jesus reminded them of that in Acts chapter 1. Wait here. And so they waited 10 days and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed for 10 days. And suddenly in Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all to one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared them cloven tongues like as a fire that sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind that this is when the New Testament church began. This is how it began. Not just when it began, but it is how it began. And if it began like that, then the only way for you to be in the church and the kingdom of God is for you to get what they got and to have what they had. It's not another that, but it's the same this that Peter spoke about. This is that. 
It's the same this that Joel prophesied was going to come. This is that. I'm glad that we're not stuck back in the earthly days of Jesus because we have him in a more real and powerful way than they had him in his physical days because he said, greater things than these shall you do because I go unto my Father, and if I go unto him, I'm going to come back to you, and I'm going to receive you unto myself. But in that meantime, before I rapture my church out, I'm going to be with you in a powerful and a real way And that's what we are seeing in our day. We are seeing miracles and signs and wonders happen at an unprecedented pace. And yes, I know there's a lot of bad things that are happening in the world right now. You've heard about the shootings. What was it? Down in Texas and then another one in Dayton, Ohio. But you know what? There's another Holy Ghost shoot up. And it's going to happen right here in this city. Amen. And we're going to knock down some devils because he said, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. I'm glad to be part of the church of the living God. I'm glad that I'm filled with the Holy Ghost and with power. I'm glad that hell is scared of this church. Amen. Let's stand to our feet right now. Lift your hands. Amen. In Jesus' name, receive that in the name of the Lord right now. Thank you, Jesus, for an understanding of what happened when you died on the cross, that the entirety of the law hung in balance whenever you died on the cross and was completely and perfectly fulfilled. All the things that it spoke about. Thank you, Lord, for your power, Lord. Let there be an anointing in this church today. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, God. Right. 
you.